Welcome to Book Shambles. You're listening to an abridged version of this episode. You can listen to the full uncut edition of this episode if you become a Patreon supporter of the show. And that's for as little as $1 a month via Patreon. And uh, you can support us. So just go to patreon.com forward slash. I still say forward slash. I'm I'm nearly 51. Thank you. Uh, Forward slash Book Shambles for more info and how to pledge. Hello, welcome to Book Shambles. Producer Trent here. Uh, delighted that we've got Josie back in the studio this week, joining Robin and our guest, Tracy Thorne. Just before we get started, a few events we've got coming up to plug. Or maybe we don't have events coming up. Who knows? It's interesting times. So instead, uh, remind you that everything we do at Cosmic Shambles is made possible by our generous pledges, the generous pledges of our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash bookshambles and also by selling tickets to the events that we put on live podcasts or bigger shows or whatever that might be. And obviously um, there's going to be less events in the coming months, almost certainly. So that means we're going to be relying more on Patreon support to be able to keep doing the stuff we do. And we're definitely going to be doing a lot more online content over the next few months, more podcasts, uh, some live streams, new videos, documentaries, blogs, and all that. So please do support what we do uh, on Patreon. Patreon.com slash bookshambles is the address again. If you are able to, and we'll be putting out all sorts of stuff to keep you entertained as you work from home or self-isolate or whatever it is you may or may not have to do in the coming months. But this episode was recorded a few weeks ago before everyone started going mad buying toilet paper. So enjoy Robin and Josie and Tracy. Hello, welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. I'm very happy to say that Josie is back with us. Josie, you might know, was... uh, Well, the weird thing is it looks like she was ill for a long time because we recorded three episodes on Friday when Josie was ill. But, of course, they go out over a three-week period. So people go, oh, I'm really worried about Josie because she was ill last week as well. Now, she was, it's the same morning that you were being sick, isn't it? I was ill for one day, which felt like my body had done a prank on me because the next day I was like, I feel good. This this doesn't feel real. But I was so deathly ill for a day. So, you know, that's my, my dream kind of illness, efficient. Get it out the way one day. And we were pleased because you, you were so worried that you thought that uh, we'd go, oh, yeah, brilliant, Josie, that's fine, that you were lying, that you kept Instagramming pictures of you being sick. I think it was more that I was stuck in bed aching and could do literally nothing and was so bored and lonely. And Johnny was in another bed in another room because we were just both too ill to be ill in the same sick bed. It's a glamorous picture I'm painting yeah, of you, and I'm very, very thrilled very to be back recording. Beautiful. Anyway, we're joined today by Tracy Thorne, who... Uh, Career starts out a thing, but the girl, uh, enormous number of different kind of uh, musical projects as well. And then in the last 10 years, uh, author, bedsick disco queen. And uh, I'm going to forget now the name, even though it's in my bag of uh, at the Albert Hall. Uh, we even just mentioned in a plug for something earlier on at the Albert Hall. Um, but that doesn't matter because we're not going to talk about that book. We're going to talk about Another Planet, um, which <laughs> is. Yeah, hi. It's Hello. really nice to meet you. <laughs> it's such a. Um, I love this book. Uh, I've tweeted about a lot when I was jet lagged and at five in the morning, just before I thought I'd probably burst into tears, I went, oh, I'm going to start reading Tracy Thorne's book, actually. And uh, it's just really delightful look at, I mean, you start off very prominent because, of course, uh, a lot of people know that your musical career starts in Hull and you start off with Philip Larkin. Yeah, I know. I'm a sucker for a Larkin quote. Yeah, nothing <laughs> Summing like, everything up. It's so great. Nothing like something happens anywhere. Yeah. 
and that kind of sets up the fact that you felt when you were when you were growing up, you were in one of those places that is neither London nor not quite not London. Yeah, I mean, when I was little, I thought it was the countryside, you know, because there were fields and, um, you know, there was a village green and a few a few sort of residential roads. And, you know, you'd, you'd be at fields quite soon. So I just thought that was the actual real countryside. It didn't really occur to me that, you know, no one was doing any farming <laughs> or everything. It was just men with briefcases getting on the train every morning and going to London because it was just a commuter um, suburban village. So when I became a teenager, I suddenly thought this place is neither one thing nor the other. And why are we living here? That's exactly how I felt growing up in Bromley. In fact, I felt like it was just waiting. There's like sitting in the middle waiting to die. I was like, (laughs) what is the point of this? Yeah. And the frustration of that feeling of like, this isn't living. I want to be living. I know. The thing is, because London was so near, you know, that was brilliant in a way, because I could escape quite regularly and get up to London. But it just meant it was so tantalising, you know, having it. You could practically smell it. You could look down the railway line and practically see the silhouette of the London skyline, you know. And I just and both my parents had come from London. You know, they'd moved out to the suburbs. So I was just so kind of bewildered as to why we'd ended up there. See, that's why I, when we talk about that, and that is just a short train ride away. Yeah. And then I think of friends of mine who were brought up in kind of even Sydney, Australia, in the nineteen sixties and seventies, and they go, you would walk past the, you know, their, their big store, Grace Brothers, and you would see things that had been in fashion fifteen years before <laughs> that in one of the magazines that had arrived two years late that was about you know young people and stuff. You'd go, oh, at last they've got the Tommy Steele records, you know, <laughs> just as, and and I do think that there's a. Have you ever seen a film called it? It was called Show Me Love. In, in the UK and it was called Fucking a Mile in, oh, yeah. in Sweden. No, don't it's, know it's it. about two young girls, basically again, teenage girls, and they're growing up in one of those towns where they're always like there's a bit where a rave is coming and they're both furious. It's like five years after raves were a thing. <laughs> you know, and that but yeah, you know, with even that small distance, that bit of ah oh, we want to be where's the scene i mean teenagers are so demanding really again you know you're right i look back now and think what were we moaning about we were 20 minutes away from london <laughs> and here is our here am i sort of ranting about being in the middle of nowhere and my diary goes on and on about how bored i am there's whole entries where i just go i'm so bored and the next day today i was really bored at school next day i'm so bored something better happen but then all around it there's like loads of things happening <laughs> I, you know do you know what i mean teenagers threshold for boredom is so low really you experience that sort of sense of you know oh my life's come to an end if you just have a miserable afternoon well that's what i loved is that you as you as you comment and and with some of the the piece from dory everything is about things that didn't happen so you go to hatfield Mm. to buy some black trousers but there aren't any or you go to brent cross to find a scarf but you can't find the scarf you like and then every now and again you go also i've remembered that on this day this happened at I a know. party, but all it was was again this, this tremendous like a diary of utter negative space. Well, I thought when I start when I started finding these diary entries where I would actually note down being unable to buy something, I thought this is actually really good. You know, from a writing point of view, this is a really good in because if I'm starting to talk about nothingness and negative space, then actually having diary entries where I bother to pick up my pen and write down the words went to Potter's Bar to get some boots couldn't find any you know how is that something you actually record but I did so I thought that was quite a useful starting point in order to talk about you know what what writing's for what how do we choose what to write how do we choose what story we're telling you know to tell your story by means of the things that don't happen seems perverse 
Um, but it's interesting. It's very much like Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> very I, I, much I, I so. Felt I that story about the black trousers <laughs> and the Hatfield Shopping Centre because Mad Max Fury Road is about a long journey to find a wonderful place and then you find it's not there and you drive back. <laughs> I love that film. <laughs> well, I suppose, the, you know, the quest story, the journey where at the end of it there's nothing much, you know. It, yeah, there is a, there is a kind of... Uh, That's literary life. classic there. It is a metaphor, really. <laughs> yeah, you're on an endless quest to find something which you never quite find. So, I mean, that's what I mean. You know, when I came across these entries, I thought these are really handy. These are a good way to kind of start. Well, you quote Godot. There's that wonderful yeah. bit. I, I'll misquote, but, you know, um, oh, well, that passed the time. Yeah. It would have passed anyway, but yeah. not so fast. You know, it's yeah. like that kind of thing. And that, I mean, that's, uh, you. there's... A lot of interesting kind of quotations and, and uh, also you talking about that point of finding finding the books that are going to get you through. Because there, there is that, I, I don't know if you think, so, there's an interim period where you're a dissatisfied teenager, but you haven't yet found whatever it might be, the culture, the books, the music, the video games, whatever, that you then go, oh, now I know yeah. what the possibilities are. Yeah, I really scrabbled around. I'd always been a reader. You know, as a kid, I was always reading books. And so you'd think as a teenager, I'd kind of gravitate towards all the books that would be helpful. But whenever I read women now saying, oh, as a teenager, you know, I was just formed by reading Little Women and Jane Eyre and everything. And I just think I just didn't read any books by women. I don't know what I was thinking, but I just kind of seized upon this notion that I would impress everyone by just reading Albert Camus and Sartre. And but also, that was what that was, was sold as cool. That was what was sold as cool, wasn't it? Exactly. I, so I it didn't feel to me that cool to read Little Women or anything. That no. felt a bit tame. So so I don't think I did myself any favours because <laughs> I tried to invent myself as a kind of hipster, but really a male <laughs> hipster. But that's I was trying to be Jack Kerouac, essentially. I think that's a really hard thing because yeah. if you can't find the other options if you yeah. can't find the fact that they you know their their female contemporaries yeah. are you know weren't at the time being no. publicized or showcased and there was less opportunity to find and buy things anyway so of course you're going to i had a you know a really similar experience in the 1990s like finding things and and like even when it came to like music the things that i later found like bikini kill that i was like oh i love this or like sleep can obviously they weren't formed until later anyway but you know, the only thing that I could find was like Hole, which was like the most mainstream version of yeah. that, because you couldn't get otherwise. Um, you couldn't. It was too hard to access. And it I was. Think no, it's, like, I think that's really true. Someone was talking about Bikini Kill the other day and thinking. I was talking to someone who was going, you know, God, why didn't I get into them when I was fifteen? And it's because well, when you were fifteen, how would you have found out about <laughs> Bikini Kill? It was like it was there to be inspirational to young girls and everything, but they weren't able to find out about it. So. Right. And also, I think, like, the, all of the culture would have still just been pushing the work of men. Yeah. Without any self-reflection. Yeah, no, I think point. aspirationally, I was still sort of thinking, look, if I want to be cool, this, this is the route to follow. But then music was helpful, because then I got into more women through music. But, but yeah, in terms of the books I read, it, it, I was... I, I do think it was quite funny as well that I kind of thought that if I carried a copy of, you know, Nausea under my arm, that that would be really sexy as well and um, that boys would fancy that. You know, I'd yet to learn the lesson that boys were terribly intimidated and put off by girls Carrying a book coming about people back being at sick. them with their I opinions. <laughs> I still find that there is something where sometimes when I see someone reading on a train and the sex doesn't matter, you know, when you see them reading a book that you love, 
and you want to, but then you go, yeah. this is, we're not allowed to communicate now no, in that way. Certainly. Guys, the, the, I do. There's a level of... Yeah, I'll be like, I just read that, it's brilliant, isn't I think it? I, I think I would in the right circumstances. If, if it looked like the kind of person you could say it to... I think I, I think it's possible. To there's say an age it, thing as well. Maybe isn't there's it? an age thing. Yeah, if yeah. there's someone in their seventies or eighties, yeah, I think you can start a conversation. You can speak. I just know I know too many people who actually are creepy, and, and because my, <laughs> my, my my hypervigilance would immediately be going because I think that even if I spend friends I've had for thirty years, I go out drinking with them, I still come back home and go, oh my god, I wonder if they thought that was really boring. Either I wonder if they misjudged me on what I just said. I've known that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That, so the idea of going yeah, up yeah. someone on a train. Yeah. Also, you know, and I don't want to sound too Lawrence Fox about this, but I think it's harder for you as a man because if you're approaching yeah. somebody who isn't a man, there is, you know, quite often creepy people do come up to like me as a woman and be like, "What are you reading?" Yeah. in a way that is insincere. So like, you have to battle against that. Could you, though, to make it a bit more like Lawrence Fox, also sing it in a way that sounds almost <laughs> as if you're doing a kind of Afro-Caribbean uh, patois? I will, but thing. I worry that then we'll only get three downloads. Oh, OK, let's move on. Um, but that is, I mean, you mentioned that the, the point of punk for you was, do you remember the, your first, because the moment when you were taught, I can't remember the first band you went to see, but remember, my, my sister was only very briefly into punk. I think she once painted her fingernails black and uh, went to see Generation X at the Watford Town Hall. That'll do it for you. Yeah, <laughs> that, 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 that was your lot. Yeah. And for you, what was the, the, the first knowledge that, ah, oh, man, there's this scene. I mean, I think it all kind of happened over a period of about a fortnight when suddenly... Every, and it's, you know, I was still a school kid, so it was at the level of playground stuff, you know, the, the Sex Pistols being on the Bill Grundy thing, mm-hmm. there being a news story about someone, I can't even remember which band it was now, throwing a tampon out into the audience. I remember that reaching us in the playground, and just you can imagine our little faces, you know, <gasps> sort of utter shock, but how exciting. Um, and just overnight, realising that something was happening that your parents were just so upset about... So do you know what I mean? When you're that age, you're, things are filtered a lot of the time through what your how your parents are responding to things, and their instinctive um, <laughs> hatred and terror of it made it seem so much more exciting than I think it probably warranted. And also, I've said before, I think I was the perfect age. You know, I was about fourteen, fifteen, so I was young enough still to think this was genuinely you know, a revolution. Whereas I know people who are a little bit older will look back and say, oh, for God's sake, it was just another pop fad. And in many ways, of course, they're right, it was. But if you were 14, it wasn't. See, that's an interesting change now because I wonder, when I think of my my son's 12 now, and they'll never be able... You you mentioned a little bit in the book about your dad as well that actually the kind of... the, the, the sense of the woman that you were becoming was something that was just not even in the register no. of, of possibilities no. for, for that, that generation. I think he would probably be a little bit older than my dad. My dad's 90 now, so 90, born 1930s. Yeah. Whereas your dad was in the Second World War, wasn't he? Did he was yeah, he, ju- yeah, he just... Well, he was training to be an Air Force pilot and had done his training just as the war ended. So he was lucky that he you know, escaped actual service. Because that's a similar generation. As you yeah. said, it's pre-rock and roll. My yeah. mum would have been the right age for rock and roll, but literally had... Uh, Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock. That was it. That <laughs> was, and then the rest of it was Hooked on Classics, The Carpenters. What else uh, do you need? You've got Rock Around the Clock. That's something for yeah. every hour of the day. <laughs> yeah, Don't need anything such else. A, 
But that's an, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Where you just go, but this was because we don't now have that. When you, no. I mean, on the tube in, I was just looking at various different people, the way they were dressed. And there was a couple that probably in their sixties, and they very much looked like they would probably at one point have been in an eighties band. They might have been in Timbuk Three. Some of them might have helped out with the Pixies. I don't know. <laughs> there's no, there's no sense. And then I looked across and I thought, well, actually, there's no huge generational divide. There's no sense of, and now you've done your house coat, and yeah. that's it. And so I think the rebellion, like what I, I find my son likes that most annoys me, is uh, 25-year-old men playing Fortnite on YouTube channels. And which he watches them play. Yeah. yeah. And, and, I'll, I, I'll, and I was hoping it was going to be some kind of well. music that I wasn't going to be able to understand. No. But, of course, I would then have still been able to understand, not understanding music. He's got something else that makes me go... Oh, yeah. But no, they have. It's true. There is, I thought for a while there wasn't going to be a generation gap anymore. I remember thinking, oh, that's it. We've kind of, we've got past that, you know, because culturally, there's nothing my kids have ever got into that I haven't been able to. It's not not to say I like everything they like, but there's nothing that's made left me unable to understand it, and mm. there's nothing they've worn or done to their hair or anything that I can sort of be upset by. But the technology thing has turned out to be a massive generation gap, yeah. and I don't think we saw that coming really. And I'm so, so sad about how that has been exploited by the far right and how like very seemingly innocent things like playing video games have been infiltrated by people with literal Nazi sympathies. Like that is terrifying to me and what's heartbreaking. The new, is it um is his name Paul Reynolds Twittering the Machine? Something like that the book that came out this? last year. Oh yeah, the Twittering Machine. Yes, Twittering I haven't machine, read it, yeah. but I, I know just, the one you mean. I was yeah. in uh, Notting Hill Comic Exchange, obviously, because it's just down the road from a dentist. That's why I chose that dentist. And uh, and the guy there, uh, Luke, who works for you, said, "Oh, you should read this. It's really good." And he yeah. said, "Yeah, one of the main things you have to know is that most of the people who helped create that particular online universe did not allow their children to use that online universe. Mm-hmm. And it's that in a certain way, it's that right. thing where most of those who take a country to war find a way to make sure their children don't go." <laughs> Well, and you feel, I know they're different, but there's still that bit where you go, oh, if, if you're going, oh, no, you kids, you better not use it. All the people cutting arts from the curriculum send their children to private schools which have massive arts facilities. It's, you know. I'd love to meet those people, though, who think they've actually forbidden their kids access to them. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, have you? Oh, well done. But how do I do it, though? Because I have <laughs> no, a two do is the I... answer. They, yeah, they haven't. They're, they're deluded if they think they've kept their kids away from the internet. They're but, absolutely deluded. But I want my daughter to be free of it. Mm. It's a well, malicious malicious. You know Machine. It might have become boring might, enough yeah. by the time she... Because I mean, that's the main thing. It could be so there boring. There is a backlash happening. The only way it'll change is if they decide for themselves they don't want to. You know, like with, you know, what were we just talking about? If my parents forbade me something, I wanted to do it more and more. Mm. So I kind of realised, OK, don't forbid your kids to go on the bloody internet because nothing's going to make them want to be on it 24 mm. hours a day. But there is a bit of a backlash. I mean, my kids are old enough that, you know, the oldest two are in, in their early 20s and they report now talking to kids slightly younger who like there's a few things they did when they were growing up that this generation are not doing now so that like they're not putting anywhere near as much stuff up on just open access accounts they're keeping instagram private and so they're already sussing out themselves good children i think so i think they find it's like news sources as well mainstream news sources you know yeah. the newspapers continue ticking along and they're still uh held it uh to you know held aloft by the mass media but underneath it all they those that generation aren't using those things no I always say, they go, oh, there's this really good YouTube channel. And they're quite good on critical thinking. Yeah. I think a lot of the ones anyway that, that I meet. So I'm, I'm not, I think you might be right. I think those who are currently using it, it with, with malice. Um, They've had their day. 
I hope. Mm. We don't know. We'll do see. We? It's terrifying. <laughs> What's well, funny is here we put this onto the internet into perpetuity yeah. and in a thousand years <laughs> they'll find this document. I um, get asked this all the time though because people want me to get up in arms about music streaming and everything. You know, when I do book events, there'd often be, you know, the arms go up at the end to ask a question and it's often people of about my age and they'll they'll want to get very upset about, you know, the fact that we all bought records and it was very meaningful and now, you know, anyone can put music up on Spotify and there's so much of it and they expect me to kind of get very up in arms and then they get a bit outraged when I'm kind of going, I think it's brilliant. <laughs> I think my, my only problem with it is the financial side. When I talk to yeah. artists who are, are still very much in the early days and trying to break through, and I think also there is a disappointment. There was a point about 10 years ago you thought, hang on a minute, all the means of production have been handed over. You can just go into your bedroom. You can create things, all of those things. And then actually still being noticed, even though you've got all those ways of putting these things out, is a battle. Yeah, and but, get, that's, getting but properly... isn't that the point? When you give the means of production to everybody yeah. so that everybody can up- upload their music, what it's proved to us all is that having the ability to make music is not such a unique skill as we yeah. tricked ourselves into thinking. So, you know, there's an element in which we've all been forced to sort of look creative creativity in the face in an honest way i agree with that but at the same time it's not a fair platform like something like spotify is run by a few people who were like sure sure you have you technically have the means of production but what we're going to do is destroy the the market you couldn't put a record out at all i mean oh yeah that's true that's true music in your bedroom and literally the very next day it can be available to anyone in the world yeah the people in the world aren't necessarily going to listen to it, but that's not the same as you not being able to I mean, yeah, how you how you attract attention is now the massive problem that everyone faces because yeah. we're now competing. You know, every time you release a record, you're competing that morning with this number of other releases mm. and you'll get a little bit of attention till about three o'clock that afternoon when it <laughs> come out. So it's basically so, yeah, exactly it's, the same problems as 1975 but... <laughs> or 1963, which is there are a small group of people yeah. who ultimately can make or break the majority of artists and some artists will break through. Yeah. So, so the, the landscape has changed, but ultimately the story. Well, it's just it got massively bigger. It's just that mm. there's now so much more out there. And just go and see bands that you love live, because they will make money from that, and go and buy merch off them. And watch the support band. Yeah, so watch the support <laughs> band. Yeah. Stop and stop fucking talking at the back as well. Yeah, and don't roll a cigarette because that's still they counts. Doing God, talking I did at the tell back. someone to shut up at a gig the other day, and I felt about ninety years old. <laughs> No, no, but I know. I, 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 I think the number of people where I remember the, there was a point. Sufjan Stevens. See, that's that's an interesting thing that I, I just wonder about because I don't think that I, I think it's an interesting change in a narrative. The fact that you don't have to struggle to find the music, you don't have to mm. go down to Supertone in Little Chalfont and hope they've got it, and know they've only got Jeff Love and the big band hits of the James Bond movies, whatever it might be. But so I don't. But I think it is an interesting thing where sometimes you know when you go to festivals and you go, why are these people here? Why do they like this music? They're all the wrong people. Why are they? You know that, that that's a, a and we we've had that at end of the road sometimes where you go and see a band that are brilliant and then there's people just yakking all the time. I get. I see. I it's not so much for me like oh, these people aren't the right people. It's like, this behaviour is completely unacceptable. I am having a religious experience and you are rolling a cigarette next to me, which for some reason I've decided is offensive. I get like far too um, desperate for a peaceful environment to see something, I find, which is stupid. I find I people somewhere. talking while a person is singing really hard. Yes. I mean, I do think that's me being personally sensitive about it, but it can be any, anyone else singing. You know, I, I find... The idea of someone actually standing right next to me, which happened a, a week or so ago, and literally there's a person singing, you know, 
quite quiet music on the stage. What were you going to and see? And literally just someone just talking very loudly to their best friend next to me. And I just stood it for a few minutes. And I just turned around and just like, just shut the fuck up, will you? <laughs> she looked at me like, go yourself. Who was it? I went to see Shura do a little little gig, just in a little tiny room. And it was lovely and it was quite, you know... Mellow and well, it's but a anyway, little gig as well. I do get sensitive about people talking while someone's singing. It just seems so rude, doesn't oh, it? Low annoyed me. I went to, when did, Low yeah. played End of the Road last year. They did a, such a brilliant set, and they had a really like the stage is almost entirely dark, and they had this strange kind of I don't know how the projection works, but like almost like Venetian blind kind of you know, so you just get lines of light, mm. and it was in the smaller kind of bit of the garden there, and you could tell it was so atmospheric and mesmeric mm. and all of these, but. The guys behind me had to get... I mean, if I was managing the English cricket team... What ah! would I, I go, so they're not even talking about... And, and then every now and again, like, you see, I think what the earlier band did wrong. I went, well... Ah. The, and that... Monsters. And then every time I moved, they fucking moved with me. And that, oh, and I, I do think there's... Because that's a hard thing sometimes when you're at a gig and someone turns and says, oh, hello. And they start talking you go, oh, God, I'm, now this person's been friendly, but I, they've got to shut up. They've got to shut up. I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't want to participate. In, here, here's the thing for me as well. Now that I've got my daughter, it's so precious to me to get to hear someone singing live. It's so beautiful. Like, I can't do that at home. I can't enjoy that. I, so it's like... It's, you can enjoy monkey music. Monkey, monkey music, monkey, monkey music, monkey, monkey music. Time. Doom, 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 doom. Oh, maybe she's not old enough yet, but What's you wait. That? Monkey music. You take your kids and some people sing monkey, monkey music, and all the kids bang around and stuff like that. You've so got years of joy ahead. That's going to be your big <laughs> I, gig. It's Tuesday morning. It's monkey music in Hackney. No, I took my daughter to a singing class the other day, which was like a new one opening up down this place near me. And she she's funny. She's just at a stage now where she's like, I don't want to sit still. I want to run around the room. And that was great. And then at one point, I was trying to sort of move her over. And she sort of at the same time lunged forward and she whacked her head on the floor and it was so loud. And I was like, oh, fuck, which was not appropriate for the atmosphere. <laughs> and then everyone in the room was just so horrified. And I was like, ah. and the woman running it kept going, she's had an injury. And I was like, I mean, she is fine. But at the same time, I feel terrible. So that's where I am now about live music for babies. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. Well, monkey music is going to be where it's at, apparently. Yeah. I, uh, do you I know what? That, that might that have been a big thing, thing ten years oh, ago. It, it moves I'm fast. I'm sure it things moves fast. All the kids have moved fast. The toddler scene is fast, yeah. <laughs> so, book-wise, what was the uh, moment where, again, you started to find... Because you, you mentioned reading Sartre and Orwell as well. Yeah. when you And those... So, when did they kind of come onto your horizon? I mean, through a boy, if I'm being honest, you know, I, I remember hanging out with a slightly older boy um, who would talk about books and then I would just kind of be clocking it all in my brain and then run home and think, that's what I have to read then. Terrible, really, in retrospect, but, but, but that's where it stopped. But that's how, yeah, that's how you pick stuff up. Um, yeah. So I was a bit of a sponge. Then, if I'm being honest, um, the NME, who, you know, at the, in the end of the 70s, went through that brilliant phase where there were people writing... In what we'd now probably think of as quite a pretentious way about pop music, but if you were a teenager, again, it was invaluable because they, you know, in the singles review page, you'd get allusions to, you know, philosophers and European films, and you know, along with the review of the Bauhaus singles. So you'd kind of learn quite a lot without noticing you were learning things. 
See, that's the bit that I do miss, I think, in terms of the, the culture, the music culture, is that all of those different bands. So I think of all those those kind of, you know, the, the electronica bands of the late mm. 70s and early 80s and the reference points that they had and the names that they gave themselves <laughs> from all manner of different J.G. Ballard books or know, something they'd yeah, seen yeah. that William Burroughs, or whatever it would be, and they would be, or Joy Division and all those things mm. that would be linked to reading and, and, and a kind of aspirational reading in terms of intellectual intellectual aspirational reading and I think that's a really whereas when I remember seeing Charlotte Church interviewed down at the Larn Festival uh, Larn Weekend a few years back and she was just talking about I mean she's someone who's tremendously well read a real kind of autodidact as well and she, when she was talking about things like politics she was saying you know when I talk to my friends who are in bands the record company have told them oh don't talk about that and don't talk about this it's no good for the market yeah but they would always it, have said that yeah they would the always the record company but, would always have told you that I, I, I mean. don't <laughs> see uh, uh, maybe it's I'm not looking in the right places but when I see interviews when I see photo shoots when I say I, it seems it, it's not now connected to some you know kind of incredible web of, of different possibilities in terms of a lot of the things which maybe that was down to the enemy melody maker people who come out of the international times and those kind of publications as well maybe it's yeah. just a different I think it's different now partly because we're living in such different times like I think when I see uh, musicians now they'd be much more likely to be activists or to speak out about political things and to be interconnected with like political writing and um, things like that I, I think it's possibly more where people's like heads are at at this mm. time but I also think I've definitely like seen uh, new releases where the people when they talk about it really really go into detail about art and philosophy and, and literature so I do feel kind of like it's definitely still there, but I think, I think it it's is. harder to access because everyone isn't reading the NME and everyone yeah. isn't reading... Yeah, we're not all getting our information from the same place, so I guess it's e it's harder to all, you know, feel like you're getting the same stuff. But, you know, Fontaine's DC had their first album out last year, you know, they're quoting T.S. Eliot on one of their songs. I mean, mm. it's all still... <laughs> and you're right about young musicians being activists. I think more of them now... Um, walk the walk than we did. We were a, a lot of us, you know, I think there was that generation of a lot of talk about politics, but you weren't expected to do that much. We did benefit gigs and things like that. You know, that was the kind of action. But I think you're right. There's a lot more, um, you know, younger bands out there now who, when you look at what they're doing, possibly because you can't actually make a living out <laughs> of music anymore, they'll be doing lots of other things. And some of it, you're right, will be some form of activism or like engagement with their local community and some kind of art projects. And I do think there's a lot of that going on. Oh, that's all right then. Oh, good. <laughs> it's well, all not, right, uh, really. We're just sitting here. Going, it's all fine. It's all fine. No, good. but I think, uh, like, attitude, like, it is really important to always temper that feeling. Yeah. Because, like, there's always more than you could even possibly find out there. Yeah. It's just a question of how hard it is to look. And again, like, there's so many things demanding your attention. It's such a soup. Everything is a, a constant flood. And so it is harder to It does like get overwhelming. Can... It does yeah. get overwhelming. And so, the, but the danger then is, especially as you get older, to sort of, you, you shut down your doors a little bit and go, you know, oh, well, I can't keep up with this, therefore it's not happening. But Well, also, like, talking about the internet and things like that, like, I just read this very easy, very digestible little book called How to Break Up With Your Phone that just very gently mm. is like... <laughs> This is what phone use is doing to your brain and your ability to concentrate and to remember. And, like, that is an important point to make, that, like, we are currently living somewhere where most people are fucking with their ability to concentrate and remember, which are the two things you kind of need to enjoy your experience on Earth. Mm. So, like... Yeah, That's always when I, I knew about, right about our uh, the um, generation gap 
is the fact that when we used to do gigs together, yeah. uh, you would literally, before, literally as we were about to go on, you your thumbs are going, oh. whereas I'd have stopped two minutes beforehand. So that's the difference. Wow, full two uh, yeah, minutes. Yeah, full two minutes. <laughs> two minute that's the difference gap. in our generation, is two minutes difference of fiddling with phones. I've got off it now, mo- mostly, and it is better. Well, I, I went back on Twitter for a bit because, unfortunately, because Trent looks after my account, he's got the password and doesn't give it to me, so I can send things to him, but I can't get involved in arguments or anything like oh, that. Oh, OK. But this weekend, though, and I, and I was very good. I had lots of just spreading nice things and stuff, and then some people started putting things up about Jordan Peterson, which just went, oh, I'm going to give up now. I can't face that. And uh, it, I, I could feel the darkness of my mood, which had not been enhanced anyway. I watched Marriage Story this weekend. Have you oh, seen that? I have. Oh, uh, yeah, I thought it was a bit meh, but <laughs> I just thought I, I have to admit I found it. I was so sad. Oh, really? Oh, OK. I'm emotionally It's not my favourite Noah Baumbach. I've got to say it's, it's not my favourite one of his films. What's your favourite Noah Baumbach? Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's the squid in the of whale. Of course actually. it is. But I really like Miss America. It is Miss America, isn't it? That's one of his. I Gosh, think, I haven't seen I remember, him. Sorry. But, um, but oh, I also hang on. Did he do um, Francis Harris? No, he didn't, did he? No, that's Gretzka. No, I think did he did. She do, do no, Francis I think he did direct She's that. She's in it. Yeah, I think she wrote, co-wrote it, and, yeah. uh, and acted. And he, he directed. I think he directed. Is that it. how Actually, they met? But she, so she, yeah, okay. Okay. But I, I think I worried because I kept thinking, because I'd read enough stuff saying, and of course when he split up from Jennifer Jason Lee and blah, blah, blah. I don't know, it just made me a bit... Uh, I still thought I thought it was good filmmaking, but um, The Horse Girl was the one at the weekend. Have you seen that yet? No. What's that? Um, the Horse Girl is... What's she called from... Uh, um, Brie... Larson. No. Well, what is the point of someone being uh, famous called Brie if there's more than one of them? I can't help oh, you. Oh, she's, she's in the, uh, the wrestling thing that Mark Maron's in. Oh, lovely. Um, yeah. And, that Kate uh, Nash is in. Yeah. Glow. And it's a really... Yeah, she's in Glow. I feel... Okay. What I worry now is this podcast has become going, who was that one yeah, who's no, in fine. that thing? They all, they all Alison are. Bree. <laughs> Alison Brie. Alison Brie, right? They're all... That's what all... Have you never listened to a podcast, right? <laughs> Sorry to interrupt your podcast, but I just quickly wanted to let you know about the thing, which is that Book Shambles and the Cosmic Shambles Network exist thanks to generous pledges of our listeners on Patreon. If you want to support the podcast and what we do, tiers start at just $1 a month and you'll get all sorts of goodies thrown in. So go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. <laughs> but um, it's a really the horse girl is such. I haven't an, even heard of it. I think I it was only came. It was Netflix on this weekend, and I was just you know I, I never find out much about films before I see them, and it looked like oh it's gonna be one of those ones uh kind of indie comedy drama about a kind of quirky woman, mm-hmm. bit quirky, and it starts off oh yeah she's kind of quirky, and then you realise it's it's about mental health and it's about mental illness and it's about psychotic episodes and uh. And it's and I just what I liked about it. I'm still uncertain. You know, when you go, I don't know, mm. but I'm very glad I watched it, and I will be watching it again. You know, it's one of those no, kind of films. Yeah, certain, yeah. But it was just really yeah. intriguing because I, I I thought, oh, this would be a nice way to end Saturday, and then oh oh no, she's not. Oh dear. Oh, th- those are uh, and it's really interesting, and and it's also by she she co-wrote it. Oh wow! And it's um her family. There's a, I think as far as I know, there's there's a kind of history of, of various different mental health problems in it, and that's what she's exploring. But it's a really interesting and strange. Sounds film. good. It sounds cool. Well, not yeah, strange check actually, it out. but it's the way that you know when you see. F- I'm trying to think. There's the uh, that um, 
when you're watching sometimes the way that mental health is dealt with in films is in exactly the kind of quirky way where you almost go that looks fun and it leads to poetry <laughs> and this one doesn't this one you right. go how disconcerting your life must become yeah. when you're losing sense of the passage of time when you're suddenly realizing that there are points where you were not observing reality and so when you wake wow. up you are yeah. not where you should have been Anyway, so I recommend it. Mm. Tell you what as well. My favourite book that jumps around with time, Lanark. Lovely thing to read these days in memory of Alistair Gray. Absolutely. Like, I always think about there's a section in it where somebody, time just keeps jumping and they're suddenly like, but it's been three years. How's it possibly been three years? So please have a look at that. I want to ask you about what you've really enjoyed reading in these modern times. Like, what have you enjoyed (laughs) in the last little while? What kind of things do you really like to read at the moment? Well, I've been having a weird kind of to-and-fro reading experience because about three months ago I discovered the Jack Reacher novels, <laughs> um, which lots of people had recommended to me, and I thought, I don't read things like that, airport thrillers. Um, but then everyone kept saying, no, no, they're really good ones. And I thought, OK, listen, I'm a curious reader. I'll have a go at one. So I read one, of course, was absolutely hooked. So I'm now reading them, but you can't read them all back-to-back because, let's let's be fair, they are quite repetitive. <laughs> <laughs> There's a thing he does that he does really well. So, but like in between them, I'm kind of reading all sorts of other things. So I've gone kind of Jack Reacher, and then I read this trilogy by a Danish woman called Tove Ditlevsen, which was about her childhood and growing up and then becoming a drug addict. Then I read another Jack Reacher. So it's like the balance. That seems the way to do yeah, it. Which I'm is... bouncing back and forth at the moment. It's like buying Take a Break and The New Scientist for a train journey. Literally Don't that. buy either of those. <laughs> uh, my, my broadness in magazines is limited to it's like buying The 14 Times and Viz. <laughs> which uh, I think is <laughs> an, another beautiful way of summing it up. Oh, that's fun. But it's working well, I have to say. Um, and for anyone out there who hasn't read the Jack Reacher novels, they're very good. Oh, do you ever have that moment, though, when you're... Millions of copies. When you're swapping round, because I sometimes do that, especially if I've got a lot of books to read, like when we're doing this, if we're doing like five back-to-back, yeah. and I've read lo- just a load of novels and non-fiction, that I swap books and I forget, How? and I just go... <laughs> Wow, the mood of this is really <laughs> so. I'm now. Re- yes. I, I think I'm still reading this thing about existential anxiety, but I'm actually reading Adam yeah. Rutherford's very specific book about dealing with racists. And I go, oh, hang on a minute. Oh, mm. I understand now why there's not as many haikus as well. You know that, that kind of bit where you go, oh, I haven't Shift transitioned in time. Yeah, no, that's true. You'd have to get your head around it. But also, so, it probably does do something to ha- uh, to how you approach the second work. It probably does. They probably do influence each other. So your experiences of reading both of those books are different to anyone else's experience of reading other books because you're sort of shifting in in a certain vibe or you start to the characters that you empathize with in the jack reach excuse me jack reach novel might be very minor characters but you projected the tove's characteristics and so yeah you know just just a character just comes in and says you want it on the line and you think why did she really say that though what's she hiding What's going on at home? Yeah, you know what I mean. You What's see, going you can on? Start analysing yeah. them because yeah. that's a very boring job. So I can see why she started drinking. Literally, she's only <laughs> the, the only she just said you, you wanted on the. Oh, this is yeah. Mostly with the Jack Reacher novels, you're just turning the pages, like to find out who's going to get shot next. 
Oh, I might read because that's what they are very good. Harlan Coben, I've never read. Have you read any? No, I haven't. Oh, I tell you what, I did do though. I did watch Harlan Coben's The Stranger on Netflix. Oh, I tried. Oh yeah, I saw that. You tweeted, didn't you? I did the classic thing of I don't know why, but I just did the classic thing of asking Twitter. So this thing on Netflix, any good? And why do you do that? Like you're going to get. I literally got every response under the sun within about. And honestly, I think people are still replying to me. I asked them about three days ago, and you would think that after a few hours have passed if you look at a tweet and it's about five hours old you'd think okay this person's probably had their answers by now oh no 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 people and, and still seen, answers. but yeah i've had right. every single opinion under the sun oh, anyway i've got two episodes in and <laughs> here's what i, I think about. think i'm done <laughs> oh because i th- yeah i thought it was predicted that uh you you you, you said uh I, what was it that, ben that, gave but, up after one yeah. and then i and but he said to me you're going to watch all of them aren't you and i went mm, because i do tend to he's right well, so my I wife was watching it yesterday that, yeah, when I got you're home. You're probably right. I probably was. So I watched the second one yesterday, and then I, at the end of it, I said to him, "Do you know what I think? Even I, I think this is finished. Well, even me, and, and I'm just... quite hardy for watching." One of the things that I love in your book as well, by the way, is the bit where when you're told to stop showing off. I don't think parents uh, say that anymore, do they? I don't stop think they off. do. No, because now, of course, we're encouraged to, you know, encourage our children to express every feeling and emotion and passing thought. Um, so, yeah, if you told one of your kids to sh- stop showing off now, you'd be, I think, accused of, you know, some form of child abuse. It would be considered very repressive. But, yeah, I was brought up in an atmosphere where um, it's not even, it wasn't even just children. Anyone showing off really oh, was considered bad for The small C conservatism of yeah. the ring of death around London. Exactly it's that. Such a, it's such a um, tall poppy's mindset. It's yeah, like, totally. who do you think you are? You're getting yeah. above your station. This is the way the world is. It's never going to change. Yes. You need to knuckle down and live in the real world. Precisely. That, for me, was the whole atmosphere yeah. of where I grew up. Exactly. So then, you know, anyone can be showing off, can't they? It's not just kids. It's anyone who's trying to do anything a bit different or express an opinion or... Or make someone uncomfortable with their weirdness. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, that was was very much the mindset. I mean, it might still be for all I know. I don't know. Um, I suspect things are a bit better. Yeah, I think it's... uh, Well, it's that change in also child-rearing where I remember Sean Locke uh, saying about... You know, when he was growing up, it was like, eat your peas, eat your peas. Why haven't you eaten your peas? You're not having anything else to do eat your peas. Whereas now it's, well, you did try, didn't you? You did have a, you had a, you, you tried your peas, so well done. <laughs> and I'm sure there's an in, in between. Um, Whereas me and Johnny are just like, why isn't she eating the peas? Oh, God, what if she dies? <laughs> That's our technique. Um, final question, going back to the punk thing. I was, I'm interested, when we were talking about kind of nostalgia, I think one of the things that leads people to sometimes, whether they're Doctor Who fans, Star Wars fans or whatever, who seem to be perpetually unhappy. <laughs> and they seem to be perpetually unhappy because they're expecting to have the emotional experience they had when they were nine mm. and they saw something. Yeah. And I was wondering what, in terms of the things that, that changed you, the things that were important, uh, books and music, what are the things where you go, I go back to that and I put it on. And it's still not just nostalgia, it still works. Uh, I mean, not that many of those punk records, if I'm really honest. Um, I think I can still put on Patti Smith's Horses and it has mm. a kind of emotional effect on me, but, but which is, you know, it's a hippie punk record, really. Um, and I still very much remember what I felt like being young and hearing that. And and feeling like I really hadn't heard anything like that at all, and I can still sort of recapture that jolt when. But she also because she's always that. remained good as well. 
I think that must help, doesn't it? Where, where you go, some of, some of the punks, you sometimes <laughs> watch, you know, John Lydon being yeah. interviewed or whatever, and it can go it can go many different ways with John Lydon. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I like his, the public image work probably more anyway. But nevertheless, the fact that you still, when I still see Patty Smith, I go, it's bloody Patty Smith. <laughs> and she's bloody, fr- like I still, my favourite, one of my favourite things to watch to make me happy is watching her um, singing Hard Rain Gonna Fall at the mm. Noble Academy. Where she where she she cocks up a couple of times because I'm very sorry I'm nervous, and I think it's a great way of judging people's reaction. If people react going, "Well, she fucking ruined that Dylan thing," blah 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 mm. blah blah, they will be off the register. And those who realise that it's a beautiful moment of humanity, it's so every and time respect. it almost makes me work. It's just beautiful. Yeah. 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 Also, without sounding too trivial, she's really brilliant on Instagram. I know it sounds yeah, yeah. trivial, but she's really cool. The things she posts are really thoughtful and teach you stuff, and she just comes across as a lovely person. Her books are, have you read any of her books? Uh, yeah, I've read um, Just Kids, obviously, yeah. which yeah. I think is, is great. I mean, I love that idea of actually, you know, telling your story, um, you know, through a relationship, through a friendship. That seemed like a really a really good in to the story um and then yeah what was the next one uh, m train m train was the next oh one yeah, M-train, yeah. Sorry, yeah and i have but there's another one now a new one which i haven't read yeah sorry what were you saying what, what, oh, and what and then in is... terms of books where you feel that you can continue to return and uh-huh. you go, they well still... <laughs> the one i really I, i've never returned to because i'm too scared to is, is on the road <laughs> um which i absolutely adored as a teenager i mean literally used to copy out passages into my diary adored and I haven't read it since because I didn't. You could get that one, you know, the one that's like just the full version, the the totally un- where where what, like when he was writing like L. Ron Hubbard, yeah, with a great big toilet roll, just tippity tap, tippity tap. They brought out the the, the huge. So then at least it's. Yeah, but is that also partly down to the fact that the older you get, the more you find out, you go, ah, there seems to be a certain level of unkindness within Jack Kerouac. Oh, it's terrible. You, you know, no, and, no, and it's all terrible. Of those all of my illusions about it all, are, you know, and I read. Uh, Joyce Johnson's book that she wrote in the 80s called Minor Characters. She was his partner at the time when he was writing on the road when it came out. Was got a deal for her own novel that same week, you know. And he's a brilliant writer. The book she wrote is clearly amazing. And yet, you know, as so often happens, she just kind of was blasted mm-hmm. off the face of the literary scene that week. So yeah, once you find out too much about those people, it's hard to go back and, and read it in the same way. But um, and that's when you look back yeah. at the canon that you were offered. Yeah, and you're like. What, so every single one of these people was a misogynist? Like, could you not have just offered me, like, one person in the canon who was a dear sweetheart that I could, like, cling to? Yeah. Now, but, yeah. There must be some people who are very specially preserved. That there's a... Because, you know, when Kirk Douglas died, you kind of go, oh, oh. Yeah, there's always... A, you yeah. go, oh, I did... Oh. I think as like, women, you get but, used to the fact that you just have to accept that a lot of the stuff you like, perhaps all of the stuff you like... Has got some kind of compromising element. Although and I would say how you deal with that is complicated. But that's where like the modern world is so wonderful because you don't have to have that anymore yeah. to the same extent because yeah. there's so many like writers who aren't just the same small category of abusive men. Oh, like we that's don't the know yet though, do we? <laughs> yeah, that's we? true. Everyone's years time. cruel and then everyone dies. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so thanks very much for listening. Oh, it's a bit um, lovely. The, uh, I wanted to, well, there's some lovely um, things as well in the, in the book where you talk about uh, kind of realising things 
now that you're a mother and your relationship and so I'll just tell people to read the book because there's a thank there's you. a lovely line I've, I've just tucked away in a bit of paper the, you no, quote Jermaine Greer at one point with oh. a, a line which is uh, mother is the dead heart of the family we could see our mothers blackmail <laughs> us with self-sacrifice I was literally just reading it oh. ah yeah, so. I remember reading that and just thinking, oh, my God, that's so true. And then reading it all again, like, 35 years later and thinking, ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is... So, uh, <laughs> Another Planet, That's uh, it's been in paperback for a while now, hasn't it, in fact? No, a week. Oh, was it only a week? Yes. A week is a long time. I thought it came out, oh, it came out at the end of last year. I'm sorry. No, no. The, uh, yeah, brand it, new. It's, uh, we and uh, it's great. And it's 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 fascinating the, the way that you... Just so many different references and ideas. and uh, it, it goes well, actually, with Philippa Perry's book about uh, bringing up uh, kids as well, uh, which is... Um, and about our relationship. So I would, I would recommend it. Uh, it goes with that. Also, it goes well with Paper Avalanche, Lisa Williamson's uh, kind of young adult novel that I just read as well. Oh, cool. Fits in with all those things so it works out very if there's a three for two offer in your local bookshop you'll find that this is the perfect one to place within that next year jack reacher (laughs) i i just want to take a second to recommend um such a fun age which i'm reading at the moment which um who's that um i am so annoyed at myself i can't remember the name of the author how frustrating monkey monkey music monkey that's monkey. not is that help. helping no oh, it's not I'm it's sorry, just making me think about when i dropped my daughter and hit her head um, but it's um uh, i didn't drop her she was lunging forwards i was trying to move oh, her oh wow and that's where it happened. i think I you might have to do an edit there for the police report <laughs> um but it's it's such a fantastic book and it's really exciting to read something so contemporaneous that feels full of uh, chat about um pop culture and uh, status and so many modern things so very cleverly cleverly so very cleverly discussed and expanded upon Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Tracy. Thank you, Josie. Thank you, Thank uh, you, you so can much go and uh, um, go on to cosmicshambles.com. There's loads of stuff there, blog posts and uh, films and stuff from the European Space Agency and uh, all manner of other things. Go to patreon.com. Give us some money. We think we deserve it. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks very much for listening. Patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go to support the show and get extended editions of each and every episode uh, on the extended edition of this episode for patreon supporters uh there's a far too in-depth discussion about the stranger on netflix so that's the sort of stuff you can get if you support the show thank you to everyone that does we'll be back next week with another new episode keep your eye on at cosmic shambles on twitter we're going to be announcing lots of special online only stuff that we're going to be doing in the next few months so follow us there or at robin ince or at josie long on twitter as well have yourself a great week we will be back very soon like next week this podcast is part of the cosmic shambles network Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.